You're now listening to the SPLX Podcast. Every week, we'll have the latest news and interviews with SPLX athletes and special guests. This is the SPLX Podcast. And now your host, Brian Fritz, with the latest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SPLX Podcast. I'm Brian Fritz, your host, and let's get to this week's news. SPLX athlete Dave Mastiff will be a part of the next WWE UK Championship Tournament taking place June 18th and 19th at Royal Albert Hall in London. Mastiff has been a pro for 16 years, having been a significant mainstay of the UK scene for that time, and this will be his first entering appearance for the WWE. Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Mark Andrews at Progress in Manchester. No word yet on his next opponent for Progress, as this year's Super Strong Style 16 winner begins to zone in on Wembley Arena on September 30th. And Helico became the King of Switzerland champion this past weekend by beating Matt Cross. And Helico's next opponent at Fight Club Pro will be Jordan Devlin at their World Warriors event on June 1st in Wolverhampton. Matt Riddle went to war with Keith Lee this past Sunday for Evolve. Now, the match was dubbed the Final War, and Riddle was victorious in the bound in 18 minutes and 10 seconds. The King of Bros will be headed to Tijuana, Mexico on June 16th to be a part of the crash, where he will team with Adam Brooks to challenge Daga and the King. Talking about the crash, Rey Mysterio will compete in six-man tag team action there. He will team with Alberto El Patron and Penta Zero M. Rey's opponent for his New Japan Pro Wrestling debut has still not been announced. Former Olympian and SPLX athlete Jeff Cobb will be making his Australian debut for NHPW. His opponents are still unannounced at this time. That will do it for the Week in News. Now on to your interview with Angelico. So every year I set the personal goal to learn at least one new skill every year. And uh, why'd you do that? Um, for various reasons, rarely. Mostly I just feel like um, just time. I have a lot of time through, through being a professional wrestler. I can just dedicate my, my free time to, to, to random things. Um, so instead of it being completely random, I rather chose that it should be a skill. And by a skill, I literally mean anything I count as a skill. It's, it's anything that I've never done before in my life. So some of the most common ones that I've done over the last few years is I learned salsa dancing. It took me about a full year to learn it, but it was one of the most embarrassing processes I've ever gone through in my life as well. Going to a, sal- a, a salsa class full of like Latin couples and you being the only gringo who can't even move your feet like remotely how the men move. Um, yeah, hugely embarrassing. Oh, and that's another reason I do the skill training every year because I can't remember the exact word for it now, but in the Japanese culture, there's like, there's the three stages of learning. So they say that the first stage is basically your shit. You just have to accept that you're shit because you don't know the skill yet. Then the second stage is when you start to actually learn the skill and you become good at it and you start to enjoy it. And then the third stage is when you now dominate the skill. So that, that first step, is that so until you accept that you're, you're no good at that skill, is that, is that then you can start learning from them? Is that the point? Yeah, exactly. In, the, in Japanese culture, the first step, that the first phase of being shit and accepting that you're shit is the most important of the three phases. Because once you're good at something, it's easy to like it. It's easy to mo- motivate yourself to do it because you're good at it. So every time you do it, you release endorphins and you feel good about yourself. 
But trying to learn something new and accepting that you're going to be shit at it for an undefined amount of time, it's like a mental challenge as much as the physical challenge and the skill. So in the Japanese culture, that first phase is the most important. It's, it's where you have the most self-growth or personal growth out of, out of doing things. So um, I'm not naturally a positive person, as in I think maybe men more than women just like we just shut our brains to things when things don't go our way you just kind of shut down and well, stuff it then i'm not going to do it at all so for me it's like a personal challenge that i accept that i'm like that and i don't want to be i want to improve on it so by having that first stage of accepting that i'm in that shit phase and still having to go every week and present myself like the salsa class for example after that first class i had nothing to do with it i mean imagine going to a class full of people and everyone's laughing at you, literally, even your own girlfriend. It's a horrible feeling. But just by doing it week after week after week, it, yeah, it's just like personal growth. It's just like a mental challenge just to be able to go there and say, okay, I don't care. Eventually, I will become good at this if I just stick to it. So that, that's what I, you know, it's one of the most important things about doing the skill training. Do you think, talking about skills, being self-aware, I believe being self-aware is an actual viable skill for life. That seems to play quite a lot into this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one hundred percent. Like, uh, just that Japanese first stage is self awareness of acceptance that you're not good at something and, and forcing yourself to do it, uh, even though you don't like doing it, until you become good at it. And actually, in the Japanese culture of that, once you're at the second stage and you're good at it, they don't really class it as no growth comes out of it because it's easy to be good at something and keep doing it. But that first stage of being crap, being rubbish, and sticking through it until you get past it, like it, it shows like, what's the word for it? When uh, I can't think of the word now. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you think that first step of that is the most important? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's the hardest step and the most important. I mean, it's the worst step as well, but um. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to me just to just to do it. Just to, so while while you're doing the, the so other skills. Last year I, I chose boxing as another skill. I've dabbled in boxing like for a few years, but I've never really like just stuck through it to like really learn like boxing technique. So this year I I, I did the boxing technique as uh, as, as skill training, uh, and that the same thing. The first stage so bad in the class. Your feet don't move how the men to move. Your hands don't throw the punches how the men to throw. And just getting through that mental challenge of saying, okay, okay, just slow down. You're not going to be good at it straight away. You know, it's going to take three to six months. Every, every skill I say takes about three to six months as well until you start becoming comfortable with it. And then, and then you're at the second stage. Then you start becoming good at it and then you start enjoying it and then you just sort of keep doing it. So, so now through salsa dancing, like I'll go just to salsa clubs. Like now I actually enjoy it. I never used to like the music, the genre, nothing. But now that I'm adapted it, I'm, I'm pretty good at dancing it. Now I enjoy it. It's just like a natural thing. So you've done salsa and you've done boxing. What other skills have you been um, Let's see what other ones I've done over the last... A motor mechanics is going to be this year's skill. I'll start that probably in the next month or so. Yeah, we're already in January. Um, yeah, so this year's one's going to be like uh, motor skills. Uh, motor mechanics, sorry. I want to be able to do like a bike mechanic on an engine. Um, and then... Let me think of what other ones I've done. But also, the other reason I do all the skill trainings is because I feel my, my job is sort of move, is movement, basically. So any skill that allows me to learn new ways to move my body, I feel applies to myself uh, or my job in the ring. 
So the better self-awareness I have, the more self-awareness I have, the better control I have of my body, the different star, or dubstep, sorry, was another dance one I tried to, uh, really? was still doing, yeah. <laughs> and that was super hard as well, like just like the fingers to have to like ding, 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 like for the, just the arm wave was so complicated. But they just literally say like, you literally have to do the arm wave a thousand times and then it starts happening. So that was another one I did last year, dubstep dancing, but it got a bit, um, that was actually hard. I still wouldn't say that I've learned that skill at all. But that's one that I'll still continue to do until I get to the second stage or third stage of it. The basic reason that I do the skill training is because it all comes back to professional wrestling. So I, I feel that anything that I can learn that's to do with movement specifically of the body, it, it will help me in some way in my performance in the ring. I may not know how it's helping me because dubstep dancing or salsa dancing, you can't really apply that to wrestling. But I just feel by dominating new movement, by dominating my body in a new way, um, it just broadens me as an athlete and as a professional wrestler. Do you think that variety is a spice of life? goes hand in hand with the skill training every year? For sure. I mean, even like skills that I used to practice before. Oh, yoga was a, I mean, it's a skill for me. Like I had no yoga ability or flexibility three years ago. That was one of the first ones I decided to do. Um, and I still do to this day. I've been doing yoga for three years now. I, I love it. Um, yeah, so yoga, salsa, dubstep, boxing, um, those have been the, like, the most recent ones. But then even before when I was younger, skateboarding would have been my, one of my first like, skills, like a really challenging one to do. Then from skateboarding, snowboarding, then from snowboarding to, um, what's it called on the water? When they, not, not kite surfing, it's... Uh, the one with the paddle? No, oh, I do paddleboarding as well. That's, that's, that's cool. balance training. Oh, balance training I just got into this year as well with Jack. So that's another skill, like, like just on a handrail, like a thin handrail, just to be able to like walk perfectly balanced on the handrail, to be able to walk backwards on it. It, it sounds like super basic to do, but I literally did not have the ability to walk a handrail, you know, holding my balance until I started practicing it every day. And then now balance training. I love doing balance training. Um, it's really fun and challenging, uh, the balance training. And it's like never-ending as well. Actually, me and Jack were watching a thing, a guy called Ido Portel. He trains with Conor McGregor, but not, he's not fight-specific. He's more movement-specific. Like his ideology is just movement. Just move as much as you can. Like humans, we don't move as much as, as, much as we can, and we don't push ourselves to move as much as we should. We're, you know, we're becoming more and more stagnant. And his idea is just move. So it doesn't matter how you're moving every day, just start moving. Um, anyway, so like he's got really interesting videos on balance training and lizard walks and all, and all his lizard stuff. Walks for a word. Yeah, it's like something to like loosen up your spine and uh, it, it, it's weird. It's like have you ever done like Spider-Man push-ups like yeah. in the gym? So it's kind of like that, but you move and you like you flick your back leg like it was a tail, Ooh. and it's got to like flick all the way over the other leg and come up, and then you take the next step and you go flick your back leg over yourself. <laughs> So it literally like, looks kind of like a lizard like walking on the floor. Um, again, just movement. Just making your body move in ways that it hasn't moved before to improve your abilities in your specific sport. For anybody that wants to like, do these live skills like a brand new one every year, any advice how they should just start it or should they just, just do it? Yeah, I mean, start with something like me that sort of interests you. Um, and it could be something that you've always thought about doing or it could be something you've just seen on the TV or something you saw years ago that you thought, oh, maybe I'd like to try that. So 
instead of just maybe I'd like to try it, you just say, okay, this year I will try it. I will do it. And you just have to dedicate minimum three months because I think in one month you can't dominate any skill, two months not even. And by about 90 days, three months is when you start to like feel adapted at what you're learning. So I feel like most people quit in that first stage because just that sensation and acceptance of being shit, like no one likes that feeling. So it's hard to push through that for a few months. So most people, I think, start skill training or hobby training. You could call it hobbies if you want to. Um, and then just give up too soon. So I think if people want to do it, then the main advice is probably not that hard to start, but it's probably harder to keep sticking through it for the first three to six months. So I'd say if you choose it, whatever skill you choose, um, it can be completely random to you. Even um, salsa dancing for me was like a random one. It didn't really have anything to do with me, but I just thought uh, it's, so it's so far out of my comfort zone that that's why I wanted to do that one because other ones like apply to me, you know, like boxing is kind of, yeah, I feel like hard, man. I can punch them in the face. But like salsa dancing, it doesn't really apply to me or my lifestyle. So that was also about stepping out of my comfort zone and just becoming comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that's very important in, in, in growing as a person and, and professionally as well. Um, so yeah, I think just uh, start, the, start your skill training and just don't, don't give up for the first three to six months. There's loads of documentaries on Netflix and on television and on the internet and YouTube and stuff about Mexico, drug cartels and how dangerous it is. Can you just tell us how it really is? Yeah, so I've been in Mexico for the last nine years and I can honestly say that if you're not selling drugs or trying to buy drugs, then the drug crime won't touch you. And by that I mean that all the things you see on Netflix and the news and stuff about Mexico, the dangerous part of it, it's usually always cartel versus cartel. It's never like cartel committing like these horrendous crimes on just random people in the public. They make so much money selling drugs, they don't need to rob houses or cars or cell phones. Of course, like any country, there's petty crime in any big city. But in general, like the cartel, like the gruesome stuff, the big murders, all that stuff, it's usually, I'd say 90% of the time, cartel versus cartel. But... In saying that, in the nine years that I was there, there were two incidents to speak of involving the cartel. So, incident one was we were coming back from a show in northern Mexico, which is always the, uh, the more dodgier areas to, to do shows or to be in Mexico because it's borderline with the state. So that's where the cartel fight for power. And so we did a show in a northern town. We're driving back at night down a long, long motorway. It's pitch black, no lights. Not like the motorways here. Some of them sort of go through the deserts, you know what I mean? They, they cover vast distances. And lo and behold, two sort of uh, four by four cars. One pulled up in front of us, slowed us down. One pulled up behind us, slowed the bus down. And before you know it, everyone kind of went into a little bit of a panic because everyone kind of knew what was happening, that we were being sort of pulled over and they weren't police cars. So our bus driver, he pulls over on the side of the road, pitch black, middle of the night, and three teenagers, I don't know how old they were roughly, less than 20, I reckon, got on with like machine guns. And they told everyone to get off the bus. So everyone gets off, we're all pretty quiet, everyone's you know, kind of in shock at the situation. They take us about 10 meters from the bus and have everyone kneel down in the dirt with their hands behind their head, like in a huge line. 
So now it's sort of the time where you're just like, want to piss your pants because you're just thinking, oh, fuck, like, is this the end of me? Um, but anyway, so they line us up or on our knees in the dirt, hands on the head. They're walking behind us. They're talking. They're shouting. It's getting a bit rowdy. And then all of a sudden, the one kid, obviously in Spanish, shouts, I told you that was chess man. And the other guy goes, oh, you're right. It is chess man. They, uh, they get Chessman to stand up and they're all like, Chessman, you're my favorite wrestler. I've been watching you since I was like five years old. Like, you're the best man. Like, I love your face paint and everything. Like, you're the How man, Chessman. He was just like relieved, but still in shock. Didn't kind of know what was happening. They're like, oh, like, tell your buddies to get up. Like, everyone just sort of got up quietly, got back on the bus. They all got their pictures with Chessman, loving Chessman. <laughs> Everyone gets back on the bus. I'm sure half the guys had like pissed their pants from like being so scared. And, and literally, and then they were, and they were like, "Oh, we'll escort you guys down the rest of the highway, so like nothing else happens to your wow. bus." <laughs> and so that was like one of the kind of scary situations that turned out to be not so bad. And then the other one was... God bless Chessman. God bless... Thank God <laughs> Chessman was on that bus. <laughs> if he wasn't... Oh man, who knows? They would have been disappointed. <laughs> um, that would have been good news for us. But anyways, that turned out fine. Then the other one was... We were at a TV taping, again, in one of the northern towns. And after finishing my match, Jack went to like the corner store to get a bottle of water or coffee, I can't remember... And when Jack came back um, to the changing room, because the, the locker room was separate to the building of the, of the event, uh, they had like security like watching the locker room so fans couldn't just you know, come around the doors and, and, and molest the wrestlers or whatever. So anyways, Jack's coming back like through the park kind of thing, just walking through, and the guy sees Jack, like he's dressed in normal clothes, holding a bottle of water and stuff, and he doesn't think he's a wrestler. So he thinks he's a fan trying to get to the back so the guys start stopping Jack telling him he can't go Jack thinks the, the, the guy's a drunk fan like trying to you can't communicate with him just not letting him get past then the guy gets a bit aggressive with Jack really not letting him into the change room so Jack being Jack just slaps him to the floor <laughs> <laughs> then Jack comes in the changing room and we're, like we're right at the back and as he comes to me like I can see the look on his face it's like the typical look he always has when something's just happened and he's Puts this look of shock on his face. Oh, I don't know why. Right? Classic Jack Evans face. And he's like, dude, I don't know what happened. Like this stupid drunk guy wouldn't let me get to the locker room. And now he's like make, like shouting and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then while Jack's telling me this, like there's commotion happening at the front of the locker room. Like at the entranceway. So Jack's just told me this weird story about some drunk guy that he just had a like altercation with. And there's like uh, something going on at the front of the change room. So I get up to go see what's happened. When I get to the front, there is a drunk guy with another guy um, trying to get into the locker room, but the wrestlers are stopping them. As I turn up there, the, the, the two guys, they go, that's him, that's that stupid blonde guy who slapped me in the face. Obviously being drunk, he just associated me and Jack as being two white guys, like one in the same. Despite you being six foot three and Jack being five foot eight. <laughs> Exactly, but in Mexico, like, it was the first white guy he saw drugs, so that was him. So he starts claiming it was me having done something to him, which I hadn't done nothing. So the rest is going, what did you do? What did you do? And I'm going, I didn't do nothing. Like, I haven't even been outside. Like, what's he talking about? So they're going, oh, like, they want you to go outside. Like, they're really pissed. And then, and then it gets serious. And they're like, okay, like, we, it's, like these guys are cartel. And uh, 
they were like just sort of running security for, for the event. It was like their event as well. So things get serious where the guys won't get, get let in the change room. The, all the bosses of the company, like the TV bosses, come to the locker room now to stop these guys from coming in. So eventually they say, you know what, it's cool. You have to come out eventually to get to the bus. We'll just wait here for you. So now everyone comes up to me and Jack and they're like, okay, both of you are in problems because even though it was Jack, they think it's you. And by either one of you going outside, they're just going to try and start something with you guys just for being the two white guys. So eventually, we can't get out of the locker room because the guy, there's more and more of them as well. Like the guy's obviously getting his buddies and stuff like that. And they're cartels, so they're very dangerous. So you don't know what they're capable of. So eventually, the company made the decision to, before the event ended, it was about main event time, that they got two masks from the crowd. They stuck me and Jack in the masks. Um, other wrestlers took our bags to the main bus and me and Jack had to go back through the arena through the crowd as wow. fans and we had to wait there until the event finished and then wait till the the staff bus left the event so the wrestlers leave as soon as the show's done they go off to the next show had you guys already performed? yeah me and Jack were like okay. on the first half of the show that's why he went right. to get his water or whatever afterwards so instead of going back with the wrestlers we had to wait maybe four or five hours for the ring crew to take down the ring, for the lighting crew to take down the lights. And because that was our way home, like on the, on the, on the staff bus. Um, and then eventually, obviously nothing happened to us because we sort of snuck out incognito with the wrestling masks. But it was like one of those times where you get kind of nervous inside. We think, God's sakes, like these guys are waiting outside for us. And then we didn't know we had the option of the staff bus. And me and Jack were thinking, how the stuff are we going to get out of this one, you know? Um, yeah, but incognito lucha masks. Just went out, watched the rest of the show as fans, and then just snuck out on the staff bus. So it was just a long night. Thanks for listening to this week's interview with Angelico. And that will do it for this week's edition of the SPLX podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening to the SPLX podcast.